Episode 7. We're planning to do 10, right? We're almost done. Chapter 13. Should we do the out-of-context summary first? Let's do it. Are we ready for it? Alright, so, in this episode, we get confirmation that the studio can make ugly characters and not just hot ones. The air humper makes an under-the-radar return. And we take a ride in the world's sturdiest cab. Chapter 13, Crime and Punishment. Should we start? Yes, let's do it. All right, opening scene. <laughs> Sump to summarize it. Kiryu and Oda arrive in Sotenbori eight hours before Majima raided the Benton Inn. And Oda tells Kiryu about his and Tachibana's past. Do you want to jump into your notes first? Uh, my first scene uh, is already when they're at the video shop, so... Ready for those ones? Um, do you have no, almost not quite? I have one before okay. the video shop. Okay. So, Oda's telling Kiryu to go to the the video store to wait for a call from Sarah, and mentions that Sarah knows Kazuma too. <laughs> I mean, it's not as weird because he's connected to the Tojo clan, but still, does every single person know Kazuma in this game? Kazama is his network is massive. He gets around. Alright. Video store? Mm-hmm. Alright, go for it. Uh the guy in the underwear. He's back, yes. <laughs> it's just it's just I can't I can't with him. It's just like so what the heck? That's the first reaction that comes to mind. Oh yeah. I, I like how he's just in the background. He's not air humping anymore, but we're still gonna call him air humper. It's, mm-hmm. He's very seriously contemplating what to get. He's just standing there, arms crossed, tidy whities or diaper we haven't decided yet, and his socks. And he's probably a familiar customer at that store. Number one customer. No yeah, doubt. Seriously. But about like the hidden room and stuff, you're you're probably wondering like, why is there a hidden room? And it's just mm, what happens? Kind of. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to say this, but we'll have to cut this out. But some real Harvey Weinstein kind of feel to it. It's okay, we're women. We can say we- it. Weinstein or Weinstein? I forgot his his last name. Doesn't matter. We know who you're talking Weinstein. about. Weinstein. Yeah, yeah. Or some what was it Matt Lowry feel to it <laughs> with Gosh. the the locks and everything. So Oy. I saw that and very creeped out. I think they're at least only watching things and not trapping people. But we can't know that for you sure. You would think. We um, don't know that. I don't like that he oh. says that Tachibana like, funded it. It's like, ooh, that really hurt my image of Tachibana. <laughs> like, right? No. I try to overlook Maybe. it, but man, it haunts me. I like to think of it just as Oda taking Tachibana's name and doing <laughs> it. taking his wallet. We know he had a little bit of a not so great past maybe that was just part of it he's come a long way maybe that was what it was we'll we'll overlook it but it's still there in the background we're disappointed it's terrible. in him come on tachibana yeah. the video shop owner guy who was part of oda and tachibana's gang sort of tells kiryu a little bit more about how they met and he mentions that tachibana beat oda and his gang in a fight and that Oda has looked up to him ever since. And that reminded me of chapter two, when Oda fights Kiryu to test him. 
I think we kind of talked about like that's an unconventional way to test somebody, but maybe this is us learning why he does that. Clearly he values strength. You know, he respects Tachibana a lot and wanted him to be their boss after he defeated him in a fight. So I guess that's just what impresses Oda. That's a good point. Yeah, do you want to I mean, say anything else? Oh, that's just that's the good point. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we learned that Tachibana's mother was a Japanese war orphan stranded in China, and that his father was the son of a Chinese farmer that took her in. He had a rough time growing up, and the only place he really fit in was with the mafia, hence how he got started in all of this. And then Oda appears mid-conversation out of thin air. The door You don't hear the door open, you don't hear footsteps, which there's a lot of footstep sound effects in this game. <laughs> and they didn't add them in here, and he just appears out of nowhere. I don't know if you noticed that. I was actually thinking that Oda was hiding and listening to here, and he stepped in when he didn't want the guy spilling any more beans. Yeah, <laughs> it surprised me, even though it's not a jump scare. I was like, oh, all of a sudden Oda's here. <laughs> In the next scene, Sarah calls Oda and provides the details for the Makoto handoff. And after arriving at the Benton Inn, Kiryu goes in to meet with Sarah and Makoto. Yeah, so the, there's like two sides to it. Oda thinks it's a blessing that Makoto got the empty lot. And then Kiryu thinks that it's not a blessing. It's not worth the price you pay for it. And I think it just kind of speaks to their personality where Oda doesn't care about the cost. It, he's more of a means to an end kind of guy. And Kiryu's like, no, he doesn't think the end can justify the means. It's like what they're more drawn to or more focused on. Oda's mm-hmm. just saying, oh, a billion yen. Like, that's such mm-hmm. a blessing. But Kiryu's like, mm-hmm. uh, she's almost died. Yeah, she's getting seriously. hunted down. What part of this are you not seeing? And Kiryu's more of, he's actually more similar to Makoto. Because they both don't really care about money. They just, in a way, want to live their life peacefully. And I think it shows that they're actually very similar. Yeah, I agree. I think we've talked about it a little bit. Their similarities, at least in Mm -hmm. this storyline. They both have people risking their lives for them. People getting hurt because of them. And both of them feel pretty guilty about it. And are struggling to figure out how to take on their issues themselves. Mm-hmm. And then during the meeting, she seems pretty over all of this happening. She's starting to be affected by Lee's death, I think, and then just the whole situation. She's ready to just dump the land. Oh, and then <laughs> I just thought it was funny because back in, what is it, chapter five, when Oda's kind of schooling Kiryu and business etiquette and all that stuff, Sarah just threw all of that out the window. Kiryu tries to give him his business card, and Sarah's like, no, no time for that. (laughs) This isn't one of those Mm -hmm. meetings. And I thought that was so funny because it's one of the most boring chapters to play. And that ends up just getting waved aside in this chapter. Sarah is Kiryu's type of person. He's down-to-earth, chill, doesn't care about etiquette. And I think he would get along with old Kiryu before everything went down in Nishiki. Yeah, definitely. Sarah's cool. He's one of the, I don't mm-hmm. know. Like a contractor. I kind of like that yeah, idea. Yeah, he's just level-headed. He's probably the most level-headed character in this game. He doesn't make stupid mistakes. After they leave and 
they're getting in the cab, Oda talks and Makoto has an immediate reaction and then says, that voice. And yeah, something's clearly wrong. She doesn't respond when Oda introduces himself and Kiryu notices it, but doesn't say anything. Next scene, Oda, Kiryu, and Makoto have an intense cab ride, courtesy of Shibasawa, and Oda turns on Kiryu. Where do your notes start? Uh, let's see. I should have... <laughs> I wrote, yay, syrup, but um, I don't know what exactly I was talking about. <laughs> oh, probably. So... <laughs> well, was that in this one? Probably giving her the, the cane the re- with the knife in it. Oh, yes! <laughs> Mine yes, started before yes, that. Add that to my notes. So my first mention is Kiryu just sits there and watches Shibasawa just completely plug the cab driver in the head with a bullet. He could have yelled duck oh. or something, but no, he just watches, looks at the gun, <laughs> looks where it's aimed, just watches. So once they're in sort of a temporary hiding place, Oda starts acting kind of crazy. He's about to hit Makoto. Kiryu, you know, grabs his hand and Oda instead walks away. And while he's out, Makoto tells Kiryu that she needs to tell him something about Oda. And we can kind of start to guess what she's going to tell him. But before we get there, Oda comes back with a gun. Do you want to take it over from there? Yeah. Luckily, Sara gave Makoto a inner cane with the knife. She saves both her and Kiryu. He would have shot her mm. or Kiryu. Is this the first time that she's, you know, like acted or been able to do anything, you know, to make a difference? And is this the first time she hasn't just been the helpless person? That's actually a good point. But I feel like after she hung out with with Sarah, things kind of changed for her. Like, she changed her outfit. She changed her attitude. She's stronger in recognizing Oda. Or maybe it's discussions with Majima when they were first trying to figure out why she was being chased after I think she is starting to go through her her evolution of like being stronger, mm-hmm. but she just never really had that opportunity to do so. My next note goes straight to highlighting how Tachibara didn't know about the kidnapping and selling. So far, we see everything is just like slightly off, and and I feel like the theme for this one is just a couple seconds make a difference. So far, we've seen that maybe a couple seconds different, and Majima might have not gone the same kind of conversation mm-hmm. he had with Sarah. Um, and probably if the timing was better, Makoto never would have been kidnapped. Just everything is just a few seconds off. Yes, I love that you're bringing up timing because I picked up on the same theme. By the end of the episode, Tachibana, I think, says the theme, which is just, it's too late. I think we should just keep going back to that as we discuss this chapter and the next chapter, honestly. Just to recap, this is when we find out Makoto and Tachibana are siblings. And the first time I saw this, I was like, okay, another twist. How is this even possible? But as I think in the next chapter, it makes sense. Uh, I just wanted to kind of comment on it because we get some more background after knowing this piece and you're piecing everything together. So you know Oda treats Tachibana like an older brother and by default... That should make him be protective of Makoto. And if anything, knowing that he did wrong, he should have tried to right his wrongs and apologize and do whatever's in the best interest of someone he treats as 
his leader, his his older brother, yet he continues to just make things worse mm -hmm. by trying to eliminate Makoto. Oda practically owed his life to Tachibana, and this is how you're going to repay him? Yeah. He mentions Tachibana lost his arm protecting Oda, and mm -hmm. he vowed, you know, to never betray him. And unfortunately, unknowingly, he already had. And he was just, you know, guilty, ashamed, and decided to cover it up by killing her, basically doubling down. He could have done so many other things. He could have told Tachibana, and sure, it doesn't make him a great guy, but at least... I mean, I think Tachibana could understand. They both come from rough backgrounds. I don't know if he'd forgive him. I think he'd let him live, though. Or he could have just let Makoto meet up with him and then just be disappeared and out of Tachibana's life. But he makes the worst possible choice and just trying to kill her. He does. And he's so selfish about it, too, because he could have done the right mm -hmm. thing. If you're going to say that Tachibana is so important than you, then you need to back it up with some actions. But no, he chooses the selfish way and decides to pretty much betray his, his best friend and kill his sister while yeah. he's at it. I mean, absolutely. He, despite making that, that vow, that promise, he chooses himself. He cares more about how Tachibana sees him more than he actually cares about Tachibana. Because <laughs> killing his oh, that's sister... that's a good point. That, that's just wrong. And it, someone not being able to see that is clearly a little messed up. And he's just so focused on how Tachibana sees him. And the fact that he thought he could get away with this too is also pretty bizarre. Yes. But at the same time, you can, from a messed up point of view, kind of understand, like when he's about to hit her and then tries to kill her, she kind of represents every mistake he's made and him living lying to Tachibana for years. I'm sure it hasn't been easy. I mean, it's the wrong thing to do, so he's making it hard on himself. But he's blaming her for all of it instead of, you know, taking accountability. If we can go back to, what is it, chapter two? <laughs> so yeah, maybe this is showing us what happens if you don't take accountability. So in conversation, when Makoto's telling Kiryu about who Oda really is, she asks if he has a bat tattoo. Oda rolls up his sleeve, and he does. So, I think it's time to analyze this tattoo. We didn't analyze it when we saw it on Tachibana, because we didn't know as much about it at that point. But at this point, we know that it was part of their gang thing. So, we considered that when analyzing the tattoo. So, we felt like it was better to wait until this chapter. Wait, and then also, were there five gang members? I think it was five. Um, I didn't write it down, though. But I think, let me go back, because I know exactly why you're asking. <laughs> yeah. I, I meant to go back and check. Um, yeah. So let me find we that We have the, we, we probably have the same notes on I it. didn't write that part down. Probably because So I'm glad that you did. Okay. I was like, Kathy probably will. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> four, five guys tops, he says. So the gang, there was uh, four to five guys in it. And according to some of the research we did, five bats is usually associated with five blessings. And I think that means that their gang, they're just trying to, had a good number, had a good meaning with the words and association. So hopefully that gives each of them a blessing. And other words associated is uh, longevity, wealth, health, enjoying a happy old age, um, which 
for Oda, uh, quite the opposite. He does not live to be a happy old guy. Does not. What a bummer. Kind of deserved it, though. <laughs> we'll talk about that uh, soon. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then you also have personal evolution. I think it's kind of funny because the evolution it actually isn't a positive one that you typically are expecting. He made some bad decisions, and I think it was just like a negative evolution. So one other thing that I found was that a bat tattoo can be symbolism for protection. And I think it's pretty interesting. Oda says that he convinced Tachibana to get their gang tattoo. And then he later loses his arm protecting Oda, but he doesn't lose the arm with the tattoo. So I feel like in Tachibana's case, it's sort of like protection, or maybe it's in Oda's case. But that's all I had for the the Same. That one was kind of dry. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot to research. And then my last point, kind of just kind of frustrated with Makoto for wanting to still make, to still want to save Oda. And I don't know if that makes me a bad person, because I don't know if I would have done the same thing. But it's just kind of frustrating to see her just being so nice. And that that kindness definitely doesn't go a long ways in their world. To me, her asking him is sort of like a, a reflex for her. I think it's just who she is. Kind of like when we were talking about Majima catching her when she trips. It's just her initial reflex because that's her character. She spent years being terrified of this man, and I think maybe seeing him on the floor bleeding and realizing that she put him there, I think that does a lot for her, and I don't think she's scared of him anymore. And I think maybe that's why she asks him if he can stand. But I understand your point. (laughs) Like, why, Makoto? After everything he did, just leave him for dead. So moving on to... Are scene three. Kiryu and Makoto make a run for it, and Oda's mistakes catch up to him. So yeah, Kiryu and Makoto make a run for it. We fight a guy with a giant saw. I don't know if battery-powered tools existed in the 80s. If not, that guy had a really long cord. But anyway, back to Oda. He is now riddled with bullets on the ground, and turns out he's been working with Shiwasawa. At this point, We're not entirely sure for how long. We will maybe learn a little bit more about that later. He didn't just try to cover up his own mistakes. At this point, he 100% betrayed Tachibana. And I hate this guy. (laughs) What a coward. I have a note here. um, Oda's losing control of his situation, kind of like Sagawa was. And I see some similarities between their two characters sort of starting to change now that they're sort of in crunch time, if you will. I don't know, do you see any similarities between their character changes at all? I think now that you pointed that out, yes. Because they act really rash when they're cornered. They kind of go from level-headed assistant type of person to like, I'm going to make the shots, I'm going to make the call for this, and I don't care about the consequences. So they're acting pretty recklessly. I think just at this point in the story, things are getting tighter more down to the wire if we can go back to timing like the time's running out for someone to catch Makoto and these are just two people who are you know their time's almost up for Oda his time is up but yeah as a result I think we just start to see more more characters true personalities coming to the surface what would have happened if Oda killed Makoto 
what was his plan? Do you think he was thinking ahead more than just get rid of Makoto, you know, get rid of the evidence? Or was his plan to sort of be a double agent, get Shibasawa to somehow get Makoto out of the picture, but then turning on Shibasawa going back to Tachibana? Because I don't think he wants to disconnect from Tachibana. You have a good point, because building off your idea, he was probably going to be the one who kills Makoto, gets Shibusawa to take the blame for it, or maybe even have him kill Makoto in a way that he can go back to Tachibana and say that, I'm so sorry, found your sister, but Shibusawa killed him, and I'll still be by your side, and here's the empty plot, and then he can sleep better at night knowing that even though he killed his sister, he got Tachibana what he wanted. And yeah, do you think, because he's been under... He's been acting under Tachibana's direction for so long that I think he sort of has a false confidence about himself where he thinks he can pull that off, where he thinks he can sort of double agent his way around Shibusawa. I think he's for years, you know, just been doing Tachibana's plans. And in reality, Oda wasn't smart. Tachibana was smart. And now I think he sort of overestimated his own ability. But yeah, we find out that Oda was working with Shibusawa and Shibusawa asks Oda, why didn't you hand her over right away? And Oda responds that they let Sarah get the drop on them. Again, they took too long. He says, if you just grabbed her sooner. Shibusawa responds like, that one's on Nishitani. Paid him a fortune and he still screwed up. And so in a way, Majima <laughs> is responsible for Oda's death. Because Majima fought off Nishitani's goons every time they tried to swipe Makoto. And he ended up getting Nishitani on his side. So he's the one that caused Nishitani to screw up. Which is what caused Sarah to be able to get to Makoto first. Which is why Oda's dead. You can see now how the two storylines are 100% affecting each other. Even in matters of life or death. Back to your, your first mention of timing and the importance of that, that theme in this chapter. Oda says they were too slow. Well, yeah, because the timing thing, if Majima wasn't there, he would have never really met with Nishitani. And so it's, it's about timing thing, not even sometimes whether it's like a close call or what. It's just the timing of like being there at the right place, right time. You just made me have a realization. Going back to our so long mother for, for Nishitani, now we're realizing he saved Makoto in a way by ditching Shibusawa, deciding to help Majima. Did he save Makoto? Did we judge him too much? Is he a mother respecter? I actually don't think so, no, because I think who saved Makoto is really Sarah. I feel like even if Nishitani got a hold of them, Sarah still would have got the drop on Nishitani. Like, this guy's pretty powerful. And I and I, so I don't think that it changes my opinion on Nishitani. I think Sarah is really saves. He saves the day with Makoto giving her the cane. Shibasawa tells Oda, you earned this, and then shoots him. So we could pretty much assume Oda's gone. So long. I don't think there's going to be much of a debate on which so long he is. But let's let's get into it. Is it so long mother respecter? 
for Oda, or is it so long, mother? It's definitely so long, mother. Tell us why, Kathy. I mean, he betrayed someone, and that's not even looking at the part where he's attempted murder, and he's been lying to Kirio this entire time. I mean, there's things that make him less of a mother. But ultimately, it leans on that scale Agreed. more. I think Shibasawa nails it. He did earn this. Let's go back to, to chapter two. Tachibana calls him. He says he's practically one of my limbs. And we made that connection with Tachibana having lost his right arm. You don't do this to someone like that. He, he tore off Tachibana's arm and threw it in the river. <laughs> he just, com- it's complete betrayal. All this time, he knew what he had taken away from Tachibana and he knew Tachibana was looking for his sister and he kept this to himself the whole time and was able to live with it which is kind of frightening exactly and I I feel like the title doesn't even the crime and punishment doesn't fit this so well because it's not a punishment it's a you could say it's a consequence, but I see it more as a karma that, that he had it coming. I feel like he deserves yes, it. Well, that's exactly what, I mean, Shibasawa says you've earned this. So I think you're 100% spot mm-hmm. on. I don't want to be like Shibasawa. <laughs> All right. Final scene? Yes. Okay. So Kiryu and Makoto find temporary safety in a hotel, and Makoto finally has time to pause and react to everything that's happened. So it's a good thing that she's with... Kiryu, because Kiryu knows Tachibana, her brother. But <laughs> my first note goes to when she calls herself an idiot. And oh, yeah. I don't disagree with her. I think she kind of is an idiot for following that strange guy. And the fact that Kiryu also doesn't say anything to say that, oh, it's okay or whatever. He just is silent about that. Obviously, he agrees with her. I think he agrees because I think he feels the same way about himself. Sort of what we talked about oh. earlier. They're in such similar situations. They've both messed up. And I think he doesn't say like, oh, no, you're not an idiot and try to make her feel better, which might be what, you know, maybe Majima would have done. Because I think he feels the exact same way about himself. And I think they, throughout this conversation, really connect with each other. What you're saying is right that Majima would totally have like, oh, that's terrible. But Kiryu doesn't say anything. But Kiryu's lack of empathy is also what's helping him survive through all this because otherwise he'd be so sidetracked with every single little thing going on and considering other people's feelings. But I think it's understandable the personality he is that he doesn't show empathy right now. He doesn't seem to have any. But it, while there's a lot that we didn't agree with him in the beginning with his decisions, I do think that it helps him function while others he might feel so bad for Makoto and it'll impair his judgment. Yeah, well, I think he's just learning. I think he's learning how to be logical but empathetic at the same time. And I think this conversation embodies that perfectly. Just some, uh, not to summarize, but some points I feel like are important to remember moving forward. Makoto and Tachibana haven't seen each other in 10 years, but he left Makoto and their mother and said he was going to go to Osaka. That's why she ends up in Sotenbori, to look for him. But Makoto and her mother moved in with her grandfather, but her mother soon killed herself, which is... I don't know what that does to a kid, but nothing good. I can't imagine. 
And then she goes on to say, since then, everyone who's helped me, one's dead, and one she doesn't even know if he's alive or dead. And that made me wonder, like, when is the last time she saw Majima? And it was, again, the car explosion. So she doesn't know what the heck happened. (laughs) She was knocked out. He knows she's okay, but she doesn't know anything about him. She seems cursed. She's had a horrible life. And now she's blind. It sucks. Her life sucks. And I feel like we need to take a moment to appreciate the fact that she's even still standing right now. And you're wondering, like, can this get any worse? It does. (laughs) It can get worse. It can and it will. Yeah. You have to recognize that while everyone around her seems very strong physically, she is probably one of the most emotionally strong person that she's so... I don't know if brave is the right word, but she's she's strong and determined to continue living. So Kiryu sort of responds to her and says, when you walk alone in the dark long enough, it starts to feel like the light will never come. But then he continues on saying, but there's nobody who knows what's waiting down the road. But you've got two choices. You can keep standing there crying or you can take the next step and go to Camarocho and find your brother. Makoto got to choose and decide what path she wants to to go on. And the other thing is that Kiryu let her choose what she wanted to do. If this was Majima, he would have just taken the reins and and go like, okay, we're going to do X, Y, and C. But it's between Lee and Majima, they've always like told Makoto, do this, do that. This is what's going to happen. And I think this is the first time that she gets to, she gets to actually choose on her own what to do when being at crossroads. I think that being the same age is allowing them to respect each other's decision. Because Majima has that slightly older than her, and same with Lee, they would just kind of take control like, I know more than you, I've seen more than you, and trust me on this. So I think Mm -hmm. it's a a really nice dynamic and a really nice change that it allows Makoto to choose what she wants to do. I think... Majima understood what she went through, but Kiryu understands more what she's going through currently. And so him being there in this moment is is perfect for her and for him. I think he's kind of talking to himself a little bit too, not just her. And yeah, I think they both decide to take the next step. That's all I have. All right. Well, chapter 13. We did it. (laughs) Any more notes? Nope. So should we dive into chapter 14? Unwavering yes. bonds. All Let's right. do it. So, opening scene. Kiryu brings Makoto to West Park for safekeeping before heading out to connect with Tachibana, whose health seems to be declining. Tachibana opens up to Kiryu before they are interrupted by a Dojima raid. The conversation right before the raid, I just wanted to acknowledge the fact how smart Kazama was for recognizing what Sohei Dojima was planning and how he knew that being drunk on power was going to lead to everything like this. This guy is so smart. Everyone's out here playing checkers. This guy's playing chess. Yeah, I love that line that Tachibana says about Kazuma. That he feared the sort of rampage unique to small men drunk on disproportionately large power. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's amazing that Kazuma recognized that. Um, and I think that just goes to the importance of understanding people. This helps us realize how Tachibana was so successful in negotiating with the acting chairman. He mentions like if Dojima gets any more power 
it's just going to be too much for the clan and he's not going to listen to the people above him. So you can kind of see how that was an extension of Kazuma. Yeah. And it makes sense why the three lieutenants right now are really trying to fight for his position because they know the only reason why they're able to move upwards is if Kazuma isn't there. This is their only chance knowing that the moment Kazuma's out of jail, they have no more chance. So I think it's kind of important to it's important to remember that Tachibana knew Makoto as his sister this whole time, and that's why he started all of this. He was trying to reverse his wrongs of running away from home, and so that's the whole start of his network that we've been seeing this whole game. And it's how he found out about the empty lot and how it connected to, you know, the Yakuza's plan. And he foresaw that turning into a bad situation for her, and he went to Kazuma for help. And that's how all of this came to be. So I want to talk about Kiryu tells Tachibana that Oda tried to kill Makoto. I kind of want to talk about what that does to Tachibana. He seems kind of confused, a little bit surprised, as much as his character can be. What do you think Oda's betrayal does to him? I don't think he's handling it quite as well as it appears that he is. If we can remember earlier in the game, he admits that he uses everyone around him. And back in, what was it? Chapter 10? Back in the chapter when he rescues Kiryu in that car that he doesn't know how to drive. He refers to Oda as not an enemy versus as a friend. Despite that viewpoint, like he's still human. And I think in some ways he's been depending on Oda. And I think that their relationship is a little bit more organic, perhaps, than Tachibana wants to admit to himself. It's one of those weird things where you can depend, but not trust. Because right before they disappear for like the 24 hours, he's finding Kiryu to talk about it, yet he doesn't trust Oda to pass along the message. And I always suspected that Tachibana knew that Oda had something to do with his sister. I don't know. There's no indication that that's really what's happening. It's where you can be friends with someone but not trust them. And he trusts Oda enough to take care of him, but he's not going to trust him with all these deep secrets and everything. Yeah, and I think we talked about it back in the negotiation when Tachibana is talking to the acting chairman. It kind of seemed like he was on to Oda if if, you know, he'd already switched sides by then. Because he mentions true friends are harder to find, money can be replaced, and Oda kind of gives him a look like it hit him. So maybe he, he didn't know for a fact that Oda was betraying him, but maybe he saw the possibility. I don't know. I think it is affecting him a little bit more, though, than he would want to admit. And then Tachibana clearly blames himself for everything, including Oda's death. And then he has a quote very similar to one that Lee said to Majima where he says, once a person sets foot in the underworld, the only way to survive is to devour those around you. And then he continues on to say, show a moment's weakness and they'll devour you instead. He hasn't been able to show weakness for years. And you can see it in this quote, he's been forced to be strong his whole life. And that had to have been challenging even before he lost his arm. But without it and like needing dialysis every other day, he's had to work so much harder to get where he is and he just has to be exhausted 
And I think this is the first moment where he sort of gives in to the exhaustion and the weakness and reveals that he does have emotions and regrets. But I think in this moment, he's done being Tachibana and he just wants to be Makoto's brother again. I don't know if we ever learn his Chinese name. Makoto has one, but Tachibana is clearly a fake name. And I think he's just, he's done being Tachibana at this point. And it makes sense too, because we leave off of the previous chapter where Makoto's ready to just be Tachibana's sister. And it only makes sense that he's ready to leave everything behind and be Makoto's brother. Exactly. I think they've been doing what they need to do to get to each other for so long that they sort of just fell into that as a way of life and into their, you know, their new names. And I think now that they're so close, they're sort of starting to revert back. And when they hear how close they are and that they're looking for each other, I think it's just like it's game over on their their new versions and they both just, they revert back to how they originally were. Scene one summary. The Dojima family arrives seeking Tachibana he and Kiryu make a run for it, but are met by a new imposing force. So we meet Lao Gui. This is what I was talking about when I said the studio knows how to make ugly characters. Lao Gui is not particularly fun to look at. He's scary though, so they did a good job with that. Um, but yeah, he's... He's like an Asian Frankenstein. Frankenstein. He and Kashiwagi should have a party. He gets introduced into the game so late. This is chapter 14 out of 17. And I just think that's good writing. Because his character turns out being sort of like at the center of the story for the rest of it. Not necessarily the center, but he's a big piece of it. And I just think that's cool that they introduced him so late into the game. Um, but can we talk about Tachibana sensing him? How does he just feel that they're being watched? I mean, I think we can all kind of feel that, but it's a different level. But Tachibana also knows this guy's reputation, so he, in a way, he kind of knows what to look for and what to sense for. Yeah, that's true. He, he knows who he is, and he says he's the most effective hitman I'm aware of. He saw him, I think, in the mainland mafia, and he shoots Kiryu a couple times. But he's only after Tachibana and he wants him alive. Um, and so Tachibana tells Kiryu first that he thinks Lagway is probably the real killer behind the empty lot murder. When Tachibana realizes that Lagway just wants him alive, he makes a bold move to allow Kiryu to escape. He picks up a piece of glass, walks out to Lagway, and basically says, Cooperate or... <laughs> I'm going to kill myself. He's able to uh, safely, for now, leave with Lao Gui and get the target away from Kiryu. And I have to, again, go back to the conversation in the car between Kiryu and Tachibana. When Tachibana says that he's still unable to risk his life to protect Kiryu's, has that changed? Because he tells Kiryu, you know, please take care of my sister. And then he leaves out to face Lao Gui. So I think he knows he might not get out of this alive. My question, and I think the answer is yes, is, is he now willing to risk his life for Kiryu's? I think it really isn't about choice. It's that he doesn't want any more people close to him to get injured or to die for him. 
And I think this is just let's not kill any more people kind of situation. Yeah, because he previously said he firmly believes, I think he says, that people are to be used at the end of the last scene when we talk about him, you know, basically shedding Tachibana. I think he's sort of starting to to shed that belief as well. And I think he does see Kiryu now as as an actual friend rather than just someone to use. And so yeah, I think he is willing to risk his life for him now and I think Tachibana is completely gone. And I think that this is this is proof. He's no longer Tachibana. I also wanted to kind of circle back to Tachibana saying that Laogui is one of the best hitmen. Here's the thing. We don't see many people with guns in this story. And we know that the victim of the empty lot was murdered with a gun. And Laogui has such a great precision. He knows where to aim. If he wanted to kill him, he would have killed him. And so we kind of, there's more reason to believe that he's the killer. Definitely. And not even to mention the parkour he does down from the roof. I mean, this guy's intense. He is very skilled and creepy. Yes. All right. So moving on, Kiryu wakes up in the little Asia hospital where Chen asks him to save Tachibana and tells Kiryu about Grandpa Makimura. Kiryu checks in with Makoto but runs into some familiar faces on the way. So, yeah, Chen asks Kiryu to help save Tachibana. He said basically that's the only reason he didn't just leave him there to bleed out, which is harsh. And this is when he he says, and it just hurts me to even say it, but he says, a dojima officer called Shibasawa knew that Tachibana was receiving dialysis here. It seems that Oda was leaking information to him. So he was betraying Tachibana for a while, I think. And he wasn't just betraying him to prevent him from learning about the whole Makoto situation. This shows that he sold out Tachibana, where he's most vulnerable. That's just sick. Like, that's so wrong. He's the worst character in this game. <laughs> and it's not even that. Knowing that whatever information he's selling out is even going to put more people in Little Asia in jeopardy, too. It's not just about one person anymore. It's about the entire village. Exactly. Then we find out that Shibasawa was just watching Tachibana, letting him do all the work so that he can come in at the end after Makoto had been located. Tachibana was using people, but everybody was using Tachibana, too. And then we learn a little bit about the origins of the empty lot. Chen tells Kiri about Grandpa Makimura and that he had to sell all his land in hard times but purposely sold it in small sections so he could keep one last piece, basically as a trail for his daughter who was in China to, to track him down with. Um, Tachibana is most likely currently being tortured in order to get Makoto's location out of him. So again, timing, the clock is running. So Kiryu is well enough to leave and is on his way to go find Makoto. He runs into some Dojima goons and Nishiki. And it's kind of tricky at first. We're unsure if he's sided with Dojima family or Kiryu, but then he officially chooses a side. And he reveals that Kuze is currently torturing Tachibana. I don't know if that's important to say, but I wrote it down, so I'll read it. Nishiki spent so long trying to make everyone else happy rather than doing what he actually felt was right. And I think at this moment, he's like, that hasn't gotten me anywhere. This is stupid. I'm doing what I want. I'm sticking up 
for Kiryu, and we're gonna fight together. And then they take their shirts off. Pretty awesome. Before the shirts off, the, it was a really good speech. It was a good speech. Um, before we get into yes. your notes, <laughs> should we do the tattoo analysis? So Nishiki's tattoo is ascending red koi. At this stage, it is still empty, just the black outline, very similar to Kiryu's. And there's several keywords that are associated with a red koi fish. And those keywords are power, strength, bravery, and power is something that don't think he has it quite yet, but I think it's something he'll continue to develop. Second one is strength, and it's obviously physical, which he does. He's able to take down people and everything, but I wanted to focus on how he's strong, that he gets rejected by Kiryu. There's like moments where maybe he's not strong enough to kill his best friend, but even after everything he goes through, he still continues. He's almost very similar to Makoto, where he has that perseverance to continue, and I think there's that strength in him to still back Kiryu up, knowing that it's going to cause him whatever punishment that the Dojima family has. And bravery, again, pretty obvious that he's willing to risk his life and everything he has for Kiryu. Koi fish also represents everything good. It's definitely Nishiki. There's no better tattoo for him, in my opinion, than what it is. I think on another website it mentioned that the koi fish is also known as a Nishiki Koi, which is a brocaded carp. And so I thought, like a Nishiki Koi and his name Nishiki, yeah. I thought that was... There might be a little bit of an obvious reason for his choice, but I think the, the symbolism definitely plays into his character as well. And it's also said that Koi fishes have lots of energy, and Nishiki, from the beginning when we first meet him, he's always brought a certain kind of energy to the table, and he's like one of the few people who actually can cheer Kiryu up. In addition to what you've already said, I read that, uh, I don't know if it's like a legend or what, but that koi fish are considered to be strong enough to swim up river and even up waterfalls. There's a story or a legend about a koi that reaches the top of a waterfall and turns into a dragon, which is really cool because Kiryu's tattoo is a dragon and their tattoos are the ascending koi and the ascending dragon. So you could see how two Oath Brothers would maybe pick those tattoos. Yeah, again, hitting on the Perseverance. Um, I read that they're used to symbolize like struggles that people overcome in their own life. And we're seeing that a little bit already, but you haven't seen any other Yakuza except for this game. So you don't know what the future holds for any of these characters, but you'll definitely start to see the symbolism of this tattoo more and more. But even in this game, we've seen a bit of these characteristics in Nishiki. While he hasn't been the focus of the story, we have seen him enjoy the prosperity of his success in the Yakuza so far. We're talking about his new car and his new lighter and his expensive clothes. Um, as well as having seen him face challenges and fight for Kiryu even when it meant putting a target on his own back, like you mentioned. So. You can definitely see it so far. It'll be interesting to see how his and Kiryu's tattoos, you know, continue to get to get filled in as their characters develop through the series. Is that it? <laughs> yep. All right. Um, before we get into 
your notes. <laughs> There's one more I have, which is, this is the first time Kiryu takes off his shirt in a fight. And in the rest of the series, every fight, it comes off. And so it, it kind of hit me like, oh, this is the first one. Is it because he's been, you know, out of the Yakuza, and it's a Yakuza thing to rip off your shirt when you fight? And now that Nishiki's back by his side, and he even calls him Kyodai again, they're back to being Oath Brothers. Does he consider himself in that sort of Yakuza role, maybe if, even if it's just that relationship with Nishiki? Is that why he takes his shirt off to fight this time? What do you think? It, who takes it off? Nishiki takes it off. <laughs> takes it on. He takes his shirt off first. And I think he just follows suits and he's like, oh, I like fighting without a shirt. And so I think that just established the pattern because every time before, he's always fought by himself. I mean, minus going to Tojo HQ. But in this situation, I think maybe he's matching Nishiki for, for his same energy. This is the first time when they actually like match each other. All right, Kathy, let's hear it. This scene was specially written for all our female gamers and uh, reviewers because it's finally nice to have someone objectify guys. Sounds terrible, but I mean, just earlier in chapter chapter 13, where they're going to a video store and with all those females and everything, it's nice that we're getting guys being objectified at the same level. And then you also think about like, Nishitani and how he treats girls. So we're actually not asking, right? We're actually not asking for a lot here for for that kind of um, abs reveal. I definitely have some notes on this. Like you said, yeah, it's so refreshing to see men being sexualized in a video game. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, just looking at the history of video games, like we've got we've got Sonya Blades bouncing boobs in Mortal Kombat. Like she's the only character who's clothes start to get ripped off of her when she's fighting. Why? How many hours went into creating that? NetherRealm Studios, give us an answer. (laughs) How long did it take? It's ridiculous. I'm sorry. She's supposed to be like an FBI agent, I think. And she doesn't have clothes that can withstand that. Stop. Just stop. So yes, it's very refreshing. And you know what? We're gonna... We're not going to be mad about enjoying it. Finally. Mm-mm. Yeah. I mean, uh, the turntables. It is honestly really, really nice. Because so much of the video games has always been geared towards skies. And so it's really nice to, to get that video of a slightly balanced. I mean, this is not equal already. It's, it's getting closer. But if you, if you think about it, like, if the video stories are just all females and, and posters and everything's just in your face, why can't we get a male version for that? Because they're gross and we're not. <laughs> that's, that's very true. But I mean, yeah, they make a lot of attractive characters in this series. Um, Is she key? Even, even when they So <laughs> at least we have one. Yes. But yes, thank you for giving us this. Thank you for making up for a little bit of Sonya Blade being just ridiculously sexualized. And thank you for having them rip their shirts off so seductively. Why can't they just like shrug them off, off their shoulders backwards, you know? Like it's just like they just pull the whole thing off with one arm. How do you do that? Right, but they're like wearing the same outfit afterwards. So like how, how did they go get another suit? I don't know. 
It doesn't make any sense. Well, we'll let it slide for the sake of what we get to see. Okay, after that rant, anything else on this scene for you? Nope. All right, moving on. Scene three. Kiryu and Nishiki head to West Park to protect Makoto. Little Asia tracks down Tachibana's location, and Kiryu and Nishiki run to save him. My first one is when they get to the shelter where Makoto is. Like, poor Makoto, she thinks Nishiki is her brother. You feel so bad for her, and then she says, I can't lose him now. She's desperate and she's frustrated, and she just wants to see Tachibana. And then we hear back from Chen, who informs Kiryu that Kuze is indeed running the torture, and that he's now taking orders from Shiwasawa after he failed with Awano. And he says that he's made so many mistakes, and that's made him dangerous. So they realize that they need to get there really quickly, so they head out. And then we see where Tachibana is at. My first impression after the scene is Tachibana is seriously impressive. He is using like his logical side to deal with the torture. When he says fingers and toes are densely packed with nerves, that's what you know makes them an excellent way to cause severe pain. He only has one hand, so he goes on to say, you only have eight left. Do you think they're going to be enough to get me to talk? The audacity that he has. He's so impressive. And and he's able to withstand all that pain and still talk. Tachibana is taking this in a stride. And you're wondering what happened in his past that makes him this strong and this capable of withstanding this pain and torture and still be able to think logically and piss everyone off. Yeah, that raises a good question. Is it his past or is it his will to reunite with Makoto? Or is it some of both? Because I'm sure he was a smart guy before, you know, all this Tachibana real estate stuff. And we know he was tough, but to be able to get your toes smashed and just be like, oh, they hurt a lot. I mean, what do you think it's more of? Is it his background or is it just his will to protect Makoto and be reunited with her? My, my first instinct was like, oh, it's definitely for Makoto and everything. But at the same time, I think Tachibana is smart enough to know that you shouldn't bring Makoto here. I just think that at some point he realized that he's never going to see Makoto because if he survives and these people are still around, the moment he Makoto enters, she's at risk too. And we already know that he's not willing to sacrifice any more people. He wasn't willing to let Kiru get hurt anymore. And we definitely know that he's not going to let Makoto get hurt. So I think at some point he recognizes that He's probably never going to see Makoto again, and for that reason, it's not about his will to live. It, I think it's strictly, he's just that awesome, but he just wants to get as much information out of Shibusawa as he can. Yeah, I think you're right. I think he, I mean, at the end of the last scene, when he tells Kiryu to take care of Makoto, I think at that moment he knew that that decision meant he most likely would not come out of this situation alive. How could he get out alive? I mean, yeah, how could he? Um, but I think, yeah, he's... He's... <laughs> somehow seems to be having fun with this torture. He is running his own torture. How is this man in control of his own torture? He knows that they're trying to get Makoto's location out of him, and he says, you'll have to do your job properly, or Shibasawa will be cross with you. And he turns his attention to Kuze and continues to say, you don't have many chances left, do you? 
he completely manipulates Kuze in this moment. And Kuze walks over and starts undoing his handcuffs. He almost got out of this alive, but then he smirks and Sledgehammer guy, I guess we'll call him. He loses it. And I think uh, we can kind of blame Kuze for losing control and losing respect, which we sort of see throughout the scene of his subordinates. And Sledgehammer guy hits Tachibana right in the temple. And that sucks. Um, it's so hard to watch. It's so hard to watch. I love this character. It's heart-wrenching because, and we talk about just needing a few more minutes and, and just terrible timing. This is another example of how maybe if he held his tongue for 30 seconds, things would have changed. And this wouldn't have happened. He could have seen Makoto. So it's just terrible, terrible timing. And it's just, it makes your heart ache. But right after Tachibana gets clocked in the head is when Kiryu shows up and he's done being civil at all with Kuze and he punches the poop water glasses right off his face he and Nishiki defeat him and then Kiryu holds Tachibana in his arms and apologizes and says but Tachibana first says you have nothing to apologize for should we look into that? Do you think Tachibana is just realizing he made his own choices? Getting involved in all this? I don't know. Is there anything more here that we need to, to analyze? I, I was just thinking that it, it's one of those things where just as you're going to die, you don't want other people to feel bad. And he still kind of is relying on Kirio to watch out for Makoto after he dies. Yeah. And then he says, there's no time. It's too late. And this is what I was talking about when he completely summarizes the whole theme of these last two chapters. Like, timing is so key. I don't think he's telling Kiryu, you were too late. I think he's talking about himself. And I think he realizes it took too long for him to get to Makoto and for him to make up for his mistakes. He expressed some regret around this earlier. And I think he's, he's talking about himself in this moment. He stayed as Tachibana too long. And he even said he should have admitted that they were siblings but he was still just trying i don't know to play the game what do you think he means by it's too late i thought it was just literally it's too late but i feel like the the reason why he said that was just as a way to summarize the story i feel like it just adds to the storyline saying that that's the overall theme of just the timing is is so carefully crafted We'll continue to see this theme of just being too late and how split-second decisions and it can change the outcome. Yes. It's so frustrating, the too late part, because it makes my heart ache oh my yeah. of Makoto's too late, too. It's not just about Tachibana being too late. It's also Makoto is, is too late. Nishiki is too late to bring her to the scene. Yes. And it's it's too late to, to say something. Exactly. But he is able to tell Kiryu a few more things. He says that Laogue is being controlled by Dojima. And he said, Kuze said Dojima is the one pulling the strings. This confirms that Dojima is the one who framed Kiryu and he's behind everything. And this is kind of a callback to, to chapter one when Kiryu tells Dojima that his plan is to find the real killer 
behind the empty lot murder, and Dojima just responds, don't bother. And now we know that he was behind it, but going back again to Tachibana's wording, he says, Kuze said. And again, somehow <laughs> they were torturing Tachibana for information, but Tachibana is the one who got information. And that is the most impressive thing I've ever seen. He completely manipulated Kuze, and he's the one that ended up with more information. How does the person do that? I don't even know what kind of training he's gotten before. But here's the thing, kind of going, taking a step back. So before the smashing guy waxed Tachibana, he was talking to, he was just saying that, hey, I'm in the Yakuza because I want to use my fist and everything. And it's a comparing the difference of Yakuza members using their brains versus using their fist. And it's so different because Tachibana can do both. And these people can only do one or the other. You don't see Shibusawa fight. You see him just kind of using his brain as manipulating the situation. Kuze doesn't use his brain. He uses his fist. Same with that sledgehammer, which is why he delivered that final blow. Uh, you know what? I'm mad. I'm going to use my aggression and my fist and everything. And so in these situations, Tachibana is actually smart enough that he doesn't need to use any physical strength. He just uses his brain and he just gathers the information he needs. Exactly. It's how do you control your own torture and how like subtle it is too. And that just lends itself to the writing and the voice acting. It's so subtle. And I feel like that's why they even added in him smirking and Sledgehammer Guy saying, what are you laughing about? I think without that, it would have been a little harder to realize how easy it was for Tachibana to manipulate them in that moment. Also, the moment where Tachibana is literally dying in Kiryu's arms, that's actually the first time we see Kiryu express any kind of emotions. He was crying, and I I'm wondering if we'll see it again, but this is the first time we see stoic Kiryu actually have some kind of emotions. It's the first time he's felt like he's failed. There was something about oh, I screwed up, but I can still fix this with the whole Kazama situation. But here, someone died. He can't fix that anymore. And that means that he'll stop at nothing. And that's why Kuze says, oh, look, he's like a real Yakuza now. And I, I just, I don't know if I agree with that because this is such a temporary thing that he's not doing it for the Yakuza reasons. He's doing it for revenge. He's not going to wait for karma to get these people. He's going to be the karma and take these people on. Something you said made me wonder. If you remember in the, the poop tube fight, Kuze says, it's a mistake to not kill me here. Is he right? Or would Tachibana just be dead anyway if Kuze wasn't here? I think Tachibana would be dead anyways. If anything, Kuze kind of slowed down like he bought them like 30 more seconds by yelling at that guy like you idiot use their brains yeah. ironic since they both don't use their brains but whatever exactly but then you have to wonder I mean because we see in the exchange between Kuze and Sledgehammer guy like they don't respect him anymore he even says is that why you keep you know screwing up so if it had been someone else there if it had been Awano or Shibusawa would they have had enough respect for that person 
to listen and back off and not kill Tachibana? No, I don't think so. I think they were wanting to kill Tachibana no matter what. And even if the other guys were here, Tachibana would have just played them all. And he still probably would have died. Yeah, I think they wanted to kill him. But I think, I don't know if Awano could have controlled them. But I think Shibasawa could have. So if he, I think if Awano and Kuze were out of the picture, maybe Tachibana would still be alive. But I think it's a, it's a slim chance. Anything else before we get to the so long? Nope. All right. Do we need one for Sledgehammer Guy? Because it seems like he might be dead, too. Uh, no, I don't even think he deserves any airtime. <laughs> Glazing right over that character. Uh, to Tachibana. Again, I don't think there will be much of a debate here. I think we both probably think he is a mother respecter. One of the bigger mother respecters. So even though Tachibana once thought that people were for being used, I think he began to remember what people really are and how much of a privilege it is to have someone you can trust. And I think he realizes that when Oda betrays him, and then this is why he worked you know, so hard to get Makoto back. He worked tirelessly to make up for his mistakes. He says earlier, reuniting with her, making up for abandoning his mother and Makoto is what has kept him alive this whole time. That's what has given him his will to live. This man spent his entire life building strength and power to overcome what he was forced to live through. And it was just his way to survive, but is it what ultimately leads to his downfall too? What do you think? Honestly, I, I don't think he's made any wrong decisions. I think he learned a lot from discussions with Kazama, and so I think he was able to plan everything. It's debatable whether or not he should have reached out to Makoto earlier on. But he also kind of needed to establish Tachibana Estates. I just, I think everything would have ended him on the same path of him dying. I don't know if that answered your question. I don't know if it but... Does that, honestly, but it's, it's an interesting thought because does that kind of go back into the, as we like to call it, the crime and karma? Is him having to work so hard and then ultimately having to give his life to make up for his mistakes? Is that the same thing that's happening to him? Is, is karma catching up with him or is this. What's necessary, you know, like for atonement? I think before I answer your question, I actually had a, another question and I think one will help answer the other, which is personally, I don't like meaningless death and I understand why sometimes it happens to evokes emotions from the viewers or the audience. But like, what's the justification if we had to make one for Tachibana dying? I think that will help answer your question. Honestly, I, I thought about this as I wrote it. Is I don't know if I can justify Tachibana dying though. I know I said that he's going to die at one point and the other just because things eventually place out like that. But I don't know why they needed to kill off Tachibana before he meets up with Makoto. Um, I have some answers. I understand and it's, har it's hard to immediately see them. My first one at this point is, I think it's number one, just showing you, this is what happens when you mess with the Yakuza. You know, he stepped into a bear trap knowingly and it clamped down on him. But also, his death will impact Kiryu. It will impact Makoto. I think it will impact Nishiki in the next game. His death serves a purpose in, mostly in character development, especially for Makoto. So it's hard to immediately see the justification in his death. It becomes easier to see as the story progresses. But it's a, it's a hard death. 
to take in for sure. He's one of my favorite characters in the whole series and he does everything so right that it feels wrong when he dies. I think that's where I'm still struggling to to process. What kind of karma is that? And it makes me feel really weird because I, I wanted karma to hit Oda and, and all the bad people. But here, how does the world repay Tachibana for everything he's done? They repay him by killing him off and not letting him see his sister. I, I understand that um, 100%. But I think as the game continues, Tachibana may be dead but his he's left his mark and the events that have transpired are because of him and we'll see how all these things that he put in motion continue to work even after his passing and they're going to end up helping a lot of people yes it sucks that he dies and if that's you know how the universe repays him but you could look at it another way because the things he set into motion before his death they changed what happens. They changed the course of what would have otherwise happened. So even though the universe isn't repaying him for his good deeds, he still changes the universe, if that makes sense. That, that makes sense. I'm just, I, I had these same emotions and I don't think I, the first time watching it, I don't think I was as affected as watching it this time around. But ultimately, you think he's a mother respecter, right? Definitely. Tachibana is still in Kiryu's arms and Kiryu says that he'll keep Makoto safe no matter what and then Tachibana dies and it's heartbreaking that he is moments away from meeting Makoto but if there is one silver lining behind it he got to die in the arms of an actual friend perhaps the only one he's ever had I think just in time he he made a real friend and he got to at least die with him before we move outside, Kuze wakes up and says that he only did what he had to do and mentions to Kiryu that someone in the Tojo clan is trying to sell the empty lot to the Omi Alliance, which would result in an all-out war in Kamurocho. So that <laughs> is kind of another bomb that's dropped. Like, okay, something else is going on now. Another twist in the story, but I think the the bigger thing is Kiryu does not give a damn. He literally says, I don't give a damn. Like you mentioned, he says, if Makoto is harmed, I'm going to take down the Tojo clan, down to the last man. It's also that, again, with Tachibana's death, I think it, it happened to really push Kiryu, and the only thing that could have happened is someone he truly cares about dies. And I think that it helps justify what he's going to do next. If we could move to the next moment in this scene. They finally meet, only he's dead and Makoto's blind. So neither one of them even get to see each other before he dies. And Makoto doesn't want to understand or doesn't want to accept that this is happening. She's just like, oh, you're tired. And is sort of not wanting to admit that he's dead. But my biggest takeaway from this moment is she says, I'm home. And if we can go back to what Chen told Kiryu, their grandfather kept the empty lot as a beacon for his family to find him. And as sad as it is, how poetic is it that they connect at the empty lot that their grandfather kept as a beacon? 
I didn't realize that. And it makes me really sad. It's like terrible circumstances of why they're they're meeting and one's dead, one's blind. Like you said, they can't really see each other, can't talk to each other. And I think besides that, this is actually going to impact Kiryu the most because he couldn't do things in time. He knows even more now that Chen explained what the grandpa left this. Only Kiryu knows all this information and I think it even hurts him even more. It's heartbreaking. They connect but they cannot see each other and they connect at this empty lot which has thrown them into this but has also reunited them which was its intended purpose. It's poetic in a kind of perverse way. And you can see it on the faces of, of Kiryu and Nishiki. And it affects them a lot. Nishiki, you could definitely see his face. Like, Nishiki only met Makoto today, but so much has happened in that short amount of time and you can already see that he's in pain too. You haven't seen the next game, and I don't want to give anything away, but I think Nishiki witnessing this uh, does... I think, I think it sticks with his character through the next game. No spoilers, guys. So I just wanted to close out this episode by looking at the chapter title, Unwavering Bonds. And you can kind of see a few. You can see the first one, which I think is more of a comparison, which would be Tachibana and Oda, because it does waver, and we see how that plays out and the downfall of that. But then we have two more bonds, Kiryu and Nishiki, Tachibata and Makoto. Their bonds are unwavering. And so you kind of get that comparison of like a wavering bond against unwavering bonds. I think that the unwavering bond is still going to happen no matter who dies. Like between the combos that we said, I think even with Tachibana's death, there's still a bond that was formed. And no matter what happened, to Kiryu and Nishiki in the past, when it the time comes, Nishiki's always going to be next to Kiryu's side. Same with like Kazama, no matter where he is. I think those are some of the bonds that, no matter what happens, they'll always yeah. be there. I, I think all of them are centered around Tachibana, which is kind of interesting because we know that he hasn't cared much about bonding with people in the past but maybe that was just a front maybe that was just a cover and he actually does have these unwavering bonds anything else from you nope the next episode episode 8 we'll be doing chapters 15 and 16 and so we'll post the gameplay on the youtube channel and next week we'll discuss them we're almost done it's getting good Take us out, Kathy. Don't go anywhere. Or if you do, make sure you're back here in a week. Okay. Voice recorder. On one, three, two, one.